In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So I I asked you at the beginning of the service uh, to think about the best piece of relationship advice you've ever heard, whether that's uh, regarding a marriage or a friendship or with family. Uh, So I I thought I would just ask now, maybe we can learn just for a moment from each other, would anyone mind sharing a piece of relationship advice? What makes for good relationships? Anyone mind sharing? Yeah. You don't just marry your spouse, you marry their family. Yeah, that's, you got to put up with the family. That's good advice. Yeah, love the family and the spouse. Good. Anyone else? Good relationship advice. Grandfather told me whatever my spouse said, just said yes, dear. Yes, dear, yeah. Uh, I heard an elderly man once put it this way in my last congregation. Uh, sometimes you need to know when to shut up. And I, I thought... Uh, he had been married for 70 years, and I said, wow, i just gotten married, and so I said, I need to learn from you, and yeah, you just need to listen to your spouse, say, yes, dear, no one to shut up, yeah. Respect each other, right? Yeah, things will go a lot smoother when you respect each other, yeah. Be honest, honesty. Well, well that's all good advice. Uh, recently, uh, somewhat recently, I heard some, some marriage advice from a fellow pastor, and, and the more I thought about this advice that he gave, the more I thought that it really applies to any relationship that we might find ourselves in. And, and it, was, it, it was advice I hadn't heard before. Uh, what he said was that in, in marriages, you need to believe the unbelievable and do the undesirable. So in every marriage, you need to, to believe the unbelievable and do the undesirable. I hadn't heard that before, so it stuck with me. And, and this is what I, I think he, he meant by that. Uh, In every marriage, we'll start there, and we'll get to the other relationships, but in every marriage, uh, it begins with two people making some unbelievable promises to each other. Uh, Very often, it's standing in a place just like this, before the altar, before God, before one another, and and family and friends, and in every marriage, starts with some unbelievable promises. You're promising each other and vowing one another that you're going to stick through it no matter what, for better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health and and the thing is, on that day, on your, on your wedding day, those promises sound so lovely, don't they? And, and we're all sitting here, if, if you're at the ceremony, and you're just thinking, wow, this is so beautiful. This couple really loves each other. Uh, but the, the longer you, you are into your marriage, the more unbelievable those promises seem. Uh, mostly because you have given your spouse many, 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 many reasons not to keep that promise. Uh, but your spouse uh, wants you to believe the unbelievable. They want you to believe that despite the fact that you have failed to empty the dishwasher for the 67th time in a row, no matter how nicely they ask you, that they're not just going to walk out the door. They want you to believe they're going to keep their promise. Uh, We need to believe that despite the fact that we have become so self-absorbed in our jobs and we've completely given ourselves over to the 9 to 5 at the expense of everyone else around us, that our spouse still loves us. Uh, We need to believe that Despite the fact that we have uh, only lived for ourselves, that we haven't cared about the other person, that uh, we have been distracted in our relationship, that they're going to keep that promise, that they're not just going to walk out the door. In order for for our marriages and and all of our relationships to grow and flourish and thrive, we need to to cling on to those promises, to believe the unbelievable. It's, It's true in friendships as well, if you think about it, right? Uh, You need to believe in your in your friendships the unbelievable. Uh, that despite the fact that you haven't called back your friend who's called you and texted you and, and emailed you to get together for lunch and you've just been too busy, you need to believe that the friendship will continue. Uh, you need to believe that despite the, the terrible things you, you called your friend in a, in a moment of anger that you regret, but despite the, the words you've used, that the friendship isn't done. Uh, 
that they're going to see it through, that they'll forgive you. You have to believe the unbelievable. Our, our spouses want us to believe the unbelievable. Our friends want us to believe it. And I think today we see that God wants us to believe the unbelievable. Uh, you all know some of the unbelievable promises, seemingly unbelievable promises that God makes. And, and we heard one of them in our gospel reading for today. Uh, in our reading, Jesus makes this, this unbelievable promise. He's promising uh, his disciples and us things that can be hard to comprehend. They might seem confusing at first, overwhelming. Uh, maybe they don't fit in with our framework of, of who God is or how he works. Uh, maybe his promise that we hear today sounds too good to be true, but, but Jesus invites us to believe the unbelievable. See, the promise that Jesus made first to his disciples and also to us is that he would go to Jerusalem. He promises them that. He promises them that once he's in Jerusalem, he's going to suffer many things. He's going to be abused and persecuted, mocked and ridiculed. He says he's then going to die. He's going to be killed. He'll be crucified on a cross for the sins of the world. And then, unbelievably, he says that after three days, he will rise again. That promise, in many ways, sounds unbelievable, but uh, and in many ways, it is hard to believe. Peter, at least, found it hard to believe. That, that close friend, that disciple of Jesus, he didn't believe Jesus. Jesus makes his promise, and do you remember what Peter does? He, he says, no way, Lord, right? God would never do that to you. He would be merciful to you. Jesus, this is not going to happen, not to you, not of all people. Uh, this didn't fit in with how Peter thought about God. Maybe it sounded too good to be true. But it was true. Peter had a God who loved him so much that he would do whatever it took to restore and renew and forgive him. Peter had a God who would go the distance for him all the way to the cross to show him how much he loved him. And brothers and sisters, so do you. You have a God in Jesus who has died for you. Not just a God of empty words, of talk and, and misleading promises, but a God who has lived that love and those promises out in action. A God who, who sacrificed his life for you and me, for, for us. Despite everything we've done, despite every reason we've give him, given him to break his promises and his vows to us, Jesus has died for us. It's, it's for you, it's for me. And sometimes to me, the, the most unbelievable part of it all is that there is nothing that I can do to add to that. Uh, the, the cross stands alone. It is sufficient. Uh, there is no holy, pious word that you and I can say that can contribute towards the sacrifice of Jesus. There's nothing we can add to it. There is no prerequisite for the cross. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, first you've got to get your, in the right frame of mind, you've got to start thinking holy things, and, and then I'll, I'll pour out the cross's forgiveness upon you. That's not how it works. He doesn't say, first you've got to be perfectly obedient, have your life all together, and then it's yours. Uh, the cross is a gift of grace. It's sufficient. It stands alone, as unbelievable as that sounds. See, Jesus calls us, invites us to believe the unbelievable, to, to hold on to those promises. Although there are many days that we're going to feel like, Lord, there's no way, not after everything that I've done, that you're going to keep those promises to me. I'm not good enough. Uh, you told me not to, but I did it. You told me to do it, but I didn't do it. And, and I just cannot believe that that cross is still for me. But Jesus invites us today to believe the unbelievable, that he is our sacrificial servant, the one who laid down his life for us. In every relationship, we are called to believe the unbelievable. We're also called to do the undesirable. 
Uh, this is maybe one of those more obvious relational truths, right? That doesn't make it easy. Uh, but, but if we think back to our earthly relationships and our marriages, I would guess in any healthy long-term marriage, uh, both spouses are doing a lot of undesirable things. And you've probably been there, right? There has been, a, uh, in, even in this congregation, a lot of clothes that have been folded and dishes that have been washed, not because you wanted to, uh, but because you loved your spouse. And so you just did the undesirable. Uh, I'm sure there are many days that some of you have come home after a long day of work and you wanted nothing more than to sit down on the couch and have a hot meal served to you. Uh, but instead, you walked into the kitchen, picked out the cutting board and the knife, and started chopping onions because you knew that your spouse could also use a night on the couch with a meal served to them. Uh, it's, it's this way in our friendships, right? Sometimes in our friendships, you invite a friend out to lunch and you just take the check before they can even uh, think about it, right? You don't play the game or you stick your hand in your pocket or reach for the purse and say, I got it, and then they say, no, I got it, and you say, I got it, no, I got it, and you're just hoping that they'll finally just grab the check. Sometimes you just grab the check and pay the bill, not because you want to and you love giving away your money, but because we are called to do the undesirable. Parents, I'm, I'm sure you've been there too, right? I'm, I'm sure you've sat through some early March soccer games. Those are the worst. And, and you did that not because you love having your frozen toes or because you loved watching six-year-olds kick around a ball and pick dandelions while they sat on the grass, but because you loved your children. And so you did the undesirable for them. Uh, the, the truth is, I think we're, we're always trying to find ways to get out of that, though, aren't we? We're, we're convincing ourselves, you know what? Uh, my kid won't notice if I go into the car, turn on the, the, the heat, and listen to the Bears game. They won't even know I'm gone. They're too busy picking dandelions and kicking the ball. Or, or we tell ourselves, you know what? I have been the one that has folded the laundry for the past six months. It's the other person's turn. I'm tired of making dinner. Can't, can't they just step up and do it once, uh, every once in a while? Uh, we are constantly looking for ways to get out of doing the undesirable. But as you all know, uh, it is so important it's been, it's been my experience working with couples and, and from what I've observed that every relationship that has come to an end, and I'm thinking specifically of marriages, every re, uh, marriage relationship that I've seen uh, split apart, it's usually not, at least in my experience, uh, because of one singular isolated event. Uh, it usually begins with one person or both people uh, not doing the undesirable, you know, convincing themselves, I'm not going to make the coffee this morning. <laughs> I'm just too tired. Let them do it. You know what? I'm, I'm tired of folding the laundry. Let's, uh, we'll have them do it, and, and maybe I'll pick it up next week. And, and as time goes on and those little undesirable things are, are left undone, resentment and anger builds, and, and, and then it becomes questions and doubts, and then you begin to, to not believe the unbelievable, and then the relationship ends up falling apart. But today I think we're reminded, God reminds us, that we are called to do the undesirable. This is how Jesus puts it in our reading for today. Uh, Jesus says in verse 24, he says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He's saying, my people, to be my people, to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, do the undesirable. I don't know that that needs much explaining. Except to say that we do the undesirable, we deny ourselves, not for God, but for his people. I think I've shared this quote before. It's from Martin Luther. Martin Luther once said, God does not need your good works. 
but your neighbors do. And, and I think that's true. God doesn't need you to fold the laundry for him. He doesn't need you to cook him dinner. He doesn't need you to drive him to school. Uh, but your kids need that. Your spouse needs that. Your friends, your family, your neighbors need that. And so we, we deny ourselves and, and take up our crosses not to earn something from God, not to give him something that he doesn't already have, but for his people. We believe the unbelievable, that Jesus has died for us, that he has given us everything we need, and so now we are free to go out into his world, to be his hands and feet, to do those undesirable things for the people that he has placed in our life. And, and for all of us, that's going to look different as we pick up our crosses and follow him. I, I did think of just a few different examples of what uh, denying yourself and doing the undesirable could look like, though. I think it means bearing one another's burdens, cooking dinner for your spouse when you really don't want to, carrying that burden for them, saying, I'll do it. I'm tired, but I know you are too. I think it means making sacrifices for the needs of one another. I think sometimes it means putting money in the offering plate. No one loves to give away their money, uh, but we do it, not to fund some institution, uh, but so the good news of Jesus can go and reach more people, and we can continue to be fed and nourished. We make that sacrifice. We forgive Not just when someone spills a glass of water uh, at dinner, but we forgive the person that we can't stand, the person that has hurt us so deeply that we can't even bear to look at them. But we forgive them. We deny ourselves. We do the undesirable. We deny our own desires or wants. We put the needs and wants of other people before us. We we love them as we would want to be loved. Uh, In many ways, I think worship is a denial of yourself. We're coming here and we're saying, Lord, let your will be done not my will. It's a, a posture of humility. Uh, eating lunch with a coworker. Maybe you're thinking, well, that actually sounds nice. But I'm thinking of the coworker that you cannot stand. You know, the one who is always boasting and bragging and talking about themselves. And the last thing you want to do is spend five minutes with them. But instead, you, you go and you sit down and you say, how are you doing? Tell me about yourself. We don't really know each other. Uh, doing the undesirable. I think it's sharing the gospel for words, knowing that it might not always be received kindly. It's responding to anger when someone cuts us off in traffic, uh, not with the fist out the window, but with peace, uh, letting, letting that go. Jesus calls us to do the undesirable, to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow him. Because, after all, Jesus has done the undesirable for us, hasn't he? As unbelievable as it might sound, as much as we do not deserve it, Jesus has died for us, and today he invites us and calls us to believe it. Despite what reason might tell us, despite what our past actions and thoughts might try to convince us, Jesus loves us with an amazing, unending love. He will keep his promise never to leave you, never forsake you. And so today, as Christians, we do the undesirable, Not for God, but for our neighbor. We believe the unbelievable about that sacrificial servant Jesus. The God who didn't take the form of a, a holy, glorious king, but one who came as a servant who would lay down his life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.